The following program is presented by the Far East Broadcasting Company because stories of people living out the gospel with their lives inspire all of us. FEBC, taking Christ to the world through radio and new media. Learn more at febc.org. If you read me a verse, any verse out of the gospel, I know what the next verse says. If you think you know what it's going to say, you're not really listening. The Bible is a, it's a living book, and the Holy Spirit is revealing new things all along. If it's getting close to Christmas, it must be time to hear from Michael Card on this edition of First Person. Welcome, I'm Wayne Shepherd. We'll be hearing from Michael along with another great Bible teacher, Dr. George Guthrie, in just a few moments. Merry Christmas from the Far East Broadcasting Company, the ministry which makes this program possible. Right now in nearly 50 countries, FEBC is faithfully proclaiming the message of Christ to millions of people through radio and new media until all have heard. For more about FEBC, please visit febc.org. And there's more information about this program and the guests we feature at firstpersoninterview.com. Through the years that we've been producing First Person, when Christmas rolls around, our favorite thing is to invite singer, songwriter, Bible teacher Michael Carr to join us for a refresher on the events of the Incarnation. Just before we hear from Michael, let me explain that in the second half of the program, Michael and I will be joined by Dr. George Guthrie as together we look at the genealogies found in Matthew chapter 1. But before we hear from Dr. Guthrie, we start the conversation with our friend, Michael Carr. Well, Michael, I'm not sure how many years we've done this, but it's almost become a tradition that we would have a Christmas time conversation on first person together. So thank you. Well, I, I think it, it at least to the early 80s, mid 80s, yeah. we've been doing this a long time, it, Wayne. It, it has existed longer than this particular program has existed, yes. hasn't it? But yes. We've continued yeah. the tradition here on first person. So I'm thankful yeah. for that. And I'll say this, that we're going to talk here for a few minutes. And then in the second half of the program today, Dr. George Guthrie, your good friend, will join us in conversation yeah. uh, around the word here. So that, that's coming up in the second half of First yeah, Person what today. a privilege. What a privilege to get to talk to him. But I wanted to talk to you because even though we've had Christmas conversations in the past, and on one level, you know, how much more can we say about Christmas? But on another level, you have spent much of your time these past uh, months and year or more Studying yeah. the Life of Jesus, your book, The Nazarene, is now out. And I'm just wondering if there's some something you can share with us from your heart that uh, came out of that study of the life of Jesus. Well, I think one of the things uh, that's unique about the life of Jesus is no matter how long you study it, there's always something new. You're mm-hmm. always seeing uh, seeing things that you uh, you never saw before. I mean, mm-hmm. that's the essence of, of studying the Scripture when the Holy Spirit is also part of the uh, the process of understanding it's it's revealing new things to you things are happening in your life that you integrate into your understanding of scriptures just it's, so it's it's always new and that's to me one of the most exciting things about about studying yeah. um, s- scripture in general but specifically the life of Jesus and one of the things I think that, that's uh, uh, impacted me the most is uh, looking at de- the details of his life and um especially with christmas we tend to sort of glop everything together and uh the luke and the matthew account we we uh we try to make one story i mean we make one manger scene out of it right we have the sh- the wise men standing behind the shepherds and all that kind of <laughs> stuff and and it, it it that could not be more wrong and there are there are 
the Gospels are saying two completely different things about Jesus in those two stories. Uh, Luke, Luke is the, really the only true nativity story. Uh, it tells really tells about the birth of Jesus and Jesus is an infinite infant. And Matthew, he's already like two or three years old, and and they're living in a house. I think they're back in Galilee, but most people would probably disagree with me on that. So what Luke is interested in is is that Jesus is come in poverty. He's he's sleeping, uh, and this is a new new insight for me. And this is from going going to. Uh, uh, Israel and seeing those kinds of places, first century uh, homes. If if Jesus is in a stable or in, in the stable, the barn underneath a house, which is what where he probably was, most likely he was in a hole. They they, they would kind of dig a hole in the ground and put the grain in there, and uh, and so if if he if if if, if we're if we're being accurate <laughs> in terms of first century. Uh, Galilean uh, or, or Judean uh, homes, he's probably in a hole. Pretty rough, or huh? an, in, an indentation in the ground. Well, it's lined with straw, and I'm certainly, I mean, he's sure. wrapped. We know he's wrapped up, and, and clo- uh, we know that detail. But um, the, the point is just poverty. Jesus is born in poverty. And uh, the, peop- the people who worship him are these very marginalized in Judaism. They're very marginalized shepherds. They can't give testimony in courts because they're perpetually unclean because they're with the sheep, that sort of thing. And so that's Luke is very interested in that. And Matthew is interested in the fact that he's he's a king. Yeah. The people who recognize him are the people who are kingmakers, and they give him the kinds of presents that you give to kings because he is a king. <laughs> and um, you lose the distinctiveness of both of those things when you just glop them together. Uh, and that that's the kind of that's the kind of thing that uh, I think is is newer in terms of my thinking of, uh, about Christmas. Okay, yeah, you're right that we we combine all the details into sort of one yes. single narrative. But the other thing that happens is that we we glaze over uh, right. the details as well. We've heard it so much and it's so right. ingrained in us that we think, at least in our subconscious, that there's nothing new I'm going to learn here. Right. But there's always right. something new, as you said. There's always something new. Yeah, I, I tell people I, I I listen to the Bible the way I listen to my wife. Uh, I know what she's going to say, right? <laughs> you know, and I, you know, and I am I'm I'm kind of revealing. Uh, yeah. Maybe I'm oversharing. You, you might want but, to affirm your love for Susan right now too. Yeah, as well, she's I do. So. I mean, I absolutely love her. But sometimes we listen to people in such a way that we think they, we know what they're going to say, especially the Gospels. I know what the next verse is, right? If you read me a verse, any verse out of the Gospel, I know what the next verse says. And so if you think you know what it's going to say, you're not really listening. Because again, the the the, the Bible is a it's a living book and the Holy Spirit is interpreting and, and revealing new things all along. And uh yeah, you that again, that's that's the joy of studying scripture is constantly seeing new things. So how does it stay fresh for you? Well, I think Teaching it is what helps me more than anything because I'll see something new and share it, and or I'll I'll share my method, this idea of listening to details, and I'll share details, and then what inevitably happens, Wayne, is that someone sees something that I haven't seen, and I learn so much. I, I don't think you're I don't think you're teaching correctly if you're not learning at the same time, 
and uh, I'm constantly learning stuff uh, from from people in in the the conferences and the classes that I teach. They see things I've never seen, and that again is so fun. I mean, you got time for one story? Yeah, please. What my favorite story? I may have told you this story already, but um, I was talking about. Uh, Jesus uh, being in Caesarea Philippi and all the the details of this this uh, city, which is up in the north, about 25, 20 some odd miles north of where uh, of Galilee, and that Jesus uh, it, it was it's odd to me. I don't really understand why he went up there. Why would he go so far? And it really bugs me. It's a pagan city. It's full of pagan temples. I've been there a number of times and seen all the excavations, and uh, uh, it just really bugged me. And, uh, and that's where Peter makes his, his Caesarea, Caesarea Philippi confession. Who do men say that I am? Peter says, you know, you're the Messiah. Well, this, this kid, um, uh, Adam, we've come to be friends since Adam ha- holds up his hand and he says, he goes, wait a minute, you're telling me Jesus went to a pagan city? So he was just as upset as I was. I said, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so he's in a town that's full of pagan temples. I go, yeah, the temple to Pan, the temple to the dancing goats. Later on, there was a temple to Augustus there. It's a pagan city full of pagan temples. And this is what he said that I thought was so brilliant that I never thought of. He said, so you're telling me Jesus went to a pagan city? I said, yeah, that's what I'm telling you. And he said, and the only temple he ever tore up was his own? Ooh. <laughs> is that not brilliant? Jesus doesn't go to Caesarea Philippi and tear up the temple to Pan or the temple to the dancing goats or these pagan temples. When the, the only temple he tears up, and he does it twice, is his temple. And uh, I just think that was brilliant. And I, w- I would yeah. have never thought. I would have never thought of that. So did that make it into your book, The Nazarene? I'm sure it is. I'm sure it's in there somewhere. <laughs> and uh, I apologize to Adam. It's probably in there like I thought of it. So uh, ap- apologies uh, beforehand. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I'm going to give you free reign to talk about the book for a moment, The Nazarene. Why should we read okay. it? Why should we read this book? Well, th- this is, uh, in in a way, it's something new. I mean, the first book I ever wrote was called Emmanuel, and it was essays on le- on song lyrics. But this book, and this book is essays on song lyrics, but it's it's different. Uh, there are, there have been in the last uh, four or five years, four records specifically on the life of Jesus on each one of the Gospels, and um, so I've got basically forty songs on the life of Jesus. Well, what I did again is I wrote essays interacting with those lyrics. I'm pretty excited about yeah, it. Yeah, you should be the Nazarene. Yeah. We'll put information in our program notes about it. Hey, Michael, um, we're going to do something a little different in the second half of the program today. Your good friend, Dr. George Guthrie, is going to join us. Now, the conversation we're going to hear, I've stolen from our podcast, your podcast, that we do together called In the Studio. But I thought it was an interesting conversation about the genealogies in Matthew chapter 1, talking about Bible study. Yeah, George is, is, I mean, no, I'm, I'm not exaggerating here. He is one of the leading New Testament scholars in the world. And uh, we're going to get to benefit from his uh, work. He's just, and he's also very pastoral and just a sweet guy. He's been a friend for 30 years. He's just a great guy. And we'll open to Matthew chapter 1 with Dr. George Guthrie in just a moment as you stay with us now for First Person. And there are so many stories of God at work through the Far East Broadcasting Company. We just had to find a way to tell more. Well, you know, Wayne, hearing all these testimonies has absolutely changed my life. 
And I want to use a podcast to be able to go deeper with some of the real stories that I get to see as the gospel's going out all around the world. And these stories will change your life too. So listen to the new weekly podcast until all have heard from FEBC. Listen at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcast platforms. Or go to febc.org. Joining Michael Cart and me now in first person is Professor of New Testament at Regent College in Vancouver, British Columbia, Dr. George Guthrie. Turning to Matthew chapter 1. So the whole book starts out with, uh, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, mm-hmm. the son of Abraham. And uh, so that's verse one, and you, you mentioned the structure. Uh, he's going to come around all the way at the end. Uh, in verse 17, he's going to say, there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, Right. 14 from David to the exile in Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. So yes. that kind of movement there is uh, called an inclusio. It's kind of a sandwich where you mm-hmm. have something stated at the beginning and at the end that's really important to understanding what's going on, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so what what Matthew does here is he frames the history of Israel symmetrically, mm-hmm. uh, moving from Abraham to, to David, from David to the Babylonian exile, and from the Babylonian exile to Jesus. And mm-hmm. so we need to kind of get our heads around, you know, what's going on with that symmetry. Um, so what, uh, what's happening there, if you think about both with Abraham and David, you have uh, these covenantal promises mm-hmm. uh, of a son and a seed in both cases, right? Hmm. So what he wants to do is he wants to kind of uh, riff on Abraham to kind of bring up the covenant blessings, the foundation of what it means to be the people of God. And then he's going to move from Abraham to David to the uh, Davidic kingship covenant and the promises surrounding God's rule. So you've got kind of covenant blessings and covenant rule in those two. And then what happens in in, uh, the genealogy is a third thing that's actually very painful because it's in the Babylonian exile that all of those promises and hopes come crashing to the dust. Hmm. But if you think about it, when you get to uh, the exile, all of the promises of uh, the Abrahamic covenant have not only have they not been completely fulfilled, they have actually come to nothing uh, in the dust. They're so not you, blessing the nations. Uh, they are ruled by the nations. Uh, so is he kind of tricking us with that structure? I mean, I hear Abraham, yeah, David, yeah, and I'm 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 waiting to hear another superstar, and all of a sudden I hear exile, and I go, wait a minute. <laughs> I mean, is that what he's doing? Well, it's it's a little different. It's not really it's not really a trick. Uh, if you think about it, he goes from Abraham all the way up to David. And it's like David's the pinnacle. Yeah. The way if you read uh, that part of the genealogy. Uh, he immediately brings up murder and adultery. Uh, <laughs> Uriah, mm. the wife of Uriah the mm-hmm, Hittite. Mm-hmm. Right. And and then from that point, everything just goes downward and comes crashing to the ground in the Babylonian mm-hmm. exile. So you get to that point, and it's, it's all uh, kind of devastating. Can I ask an elementary question? You mentioned the word symmetry. Does it just so happen that there's 14 generations between these? Yeah, no, that's a that's a great question. Actually, 
Most scholars would say that the way that genealogy worked is it could be shaped. You don't have a, a Hebrew word for grandfather. So sometimes uh, a genealogist could skip a generation or two if he wanted to emphasize something. Oh, okay. Yeah. So um, you, you actually, if you look and compare it with, with Luke's genealogy, Luke's genealogy is different because it's the same from Abraham to David, but then he goes through another uh, son of David, the fourth son, uh, the youngest, all the way down uh, you know, to Jesus. And he goes all the way back to Adam too, right? Yeah, he goes back to Adam. He actually goes in a reverse order from Matthew's approach to genealogy, but you have a very different genealogy from uh, David to to Jesus because you have another line that's being followed to get there, right? Yeah. So uh, going through two different sons, they all go back to David. So he's he's son of David in both. So is Luke doing something different with his genealogy? Yeah, I think I think Luke is. Um, Luke is really wanting to. I, I think David's right in the middle of Luke's genealogy, so that's uh-huh. different. And he's really going back to Adam because he's he's coming at it as Jesus as the Savior of the whole world. Yeah. Now Matthew's doing something similar that we'll get to in just a minute when we when we talk about some what else is going on there. But let me just kind of finish the thought on the Babylonian exile. Mm-hmm. And that is, all of this is, comes crashing down, but then it moves from there to Jesus. Mm. And the idea is that in Jesus, all of the covenant blessing of the nations, uh, all of the rule of the nations, you know, the Davidic covenant, all of that comes together in the same person in Jesus. So mm. all of the hopes of the people of God in this beautiful symmetry you see in the Old Testament story, all of those hopes which people were longing to have fulfilled come together and are answered in the person of Jesus, who's not just son of Abraham, son of David. He actually turns out to be the son of God. Right, which answers a question I had, and that was, you know, obviously God put this here for a purpose. That's the purpose that we would know that, that we'd understand that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, a big part of what's going on here is he's shaping, he's evoking all different parts of what we call the Old Testament, the Old Testament story, to to say that they're all coming together in the person of Jesus. So, one way to think about it, it's not that Jesus is a part of the Old Testament story. It's that the Old Testament's a part of his story. Hmm. And that's a different way of looking at it, right? Wow. Um, you know, so it's not that he gets his significance from his ancestors; it's that his ancestors get significance because of who from he him. is. Well, he's the wow. fulfillment. Yeah. Wow. Well, what uh, what about the the four women? I, I know Craig Keener says that the, they're there not because they're somehow, you know, shady women. That's what's what I've heard all my life. They're there because they're Gentiles, because they're they're married to Gentiles, right? Yeah, I absolutely buy that. I yeah. uh, I they actually are, are people who are outside the the covenant people who come into the story and actually have a really significant place in the story. Yeah. So, yes, I think I think the reason one reason that they're there is um Matthew is probably written into a context where you have a large Jewish population is kind of the base Christians, you know, yeah. believers who are Jewish in background, but they're also interfacing with a lot of Gentiles in their community. And uh, the whole Gentile thing, us, our story, you know, as Gentiles, 
gets woven in, kind of folded into the story from this point. And I'll, I'll tell you one cool way that that happens with Matthew as a whole that I just think is, is very awesome. Uh, when you look at the structure of the book, the genealogy kind of launches the first four chapters, which are primary, primarily the preparation of the Son of God. And uh, in, in some ways, it culminates or kind of climaxes with the confession of the Father uh, at the baptism, uh, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Mm. So you have the climax of the first movement. And then after that, what happens, you have the temptation, uh, you know, if you really are the son of God, right? Uh, so that kind of kind of closes out the, the first big movement. The second big movement uh, runs from uh, 4.17 all the way through 16.20, and there's some other bits in there about the Son of God, but it climaxes with what? The confession at Caesarea Philippi. Uh-huh. So you have in the in the big movement from chapter four through uh, halfway through chapter sixteen, where the disciples have this kind of thing unfolding, where they're they're learning the identity of Jesus. You know, like Mike with the with the calming of the storm. Who in the world is who this? is this? You know, yeah. And, and that whole section climaxes with the disciples getting it. And, and, you know, they confess, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The, the third main movement of the book is going from there. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to teach his disciples that he had to go to Jerusalem and, and suffer and die. Mm-hmm. And that movement on the passion of the Son of God climaxes with one final confession at the cross mm. and that's by a gentile yeah mm. and actually wow. the whole book crescendos with the centurion saying to those around him this surely this was the son of god yeah of all people to recognize who he was the guy who's crucifying him yeah so it's just it's just incredible and, and there's a pretty straight beeline from that to the Great Commission itself. Go into all the nations, yeah, to all wow. the Gentiles. You know, so, yeah. so this whole thing that gets launched with the genealogy is programmatic, in a sense, for the whole book. Hmm. Because all of the blessings of the people of God are being fulfilled. They're being taken up into who Jesus is in his launching of the new covenant. Hmm. And, uh, and, and, Yet, all along, if you go back and you read the covenant with Abraham in chapter 12, 15, 17, all along, God's desire was for this to be broader than just one ethnic community. Yeah. A fascinating conversation between Michael Card and Dr. George Guthrie of Regent College, centered on the genealogies found in Matthew chapter 1. My thanks to Michael and George for the teaching they brought to us today on First Person. Their conversation was lifted from the In the Studio podcast, and we'll provide a link to that podcast at firstpersoninterview.com. You can also listen to this program again or any previous program at firstpersoninterview.com. As we come closer to Christmas and then the start of a new year, I'm very grateful for the support of the Far East Broadcasting Company who make it possible to bring you these interviews. FEBC is a remarkable gospel-centered organization that is reaching millions of people every day through radio and new media. Take time to learn more at febc.org. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Join us next time for First Person.